Welcome to the Soup is On podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Stephen Cook, superintendent of Ben Lapine Schools. On the Soup is On podcast, we talk about all things public education, specifically as they relate to our Ben Lapine Schools and the greater community here in Central Oregon. Folks, this is an exciting one today. I am so glad for my guests here today. We are taking a moment to celebrate our outstanding educators. We're recording this during uh, National Teacher Appreciation Week, and we are excited to share with you two of our very best. We hope all of you listeners are able to take a moment to celebrate the educators in your lives, and we're going to do that here today with two fantastic representatives of our staff. So before we get going on that reminder, just send a note, write a card, drop off a coffee to your favorite educators at your local schools, and make an effort just to say thank you. All those heartfelt gestures really mean a lot to our staff, especially this time of year where it can be interesting at times. So today as a part of our appreciation, we're we're talking with two of our best teachers at Cascade Middle School, special education teacher McKenna Johnson and math teacher Brian Kent. Welcome to you both. Thank you so much for having us. It's great to be here. Thank you. So I'd love to hear from both of you. Uh, let's start with you, McKenna. How did you get started in this work? And, and specifically, when did you know when you wanted to be a teacher? So I actually grew up in a family of teachers, and I grew up playing school with my friends and doing science experiments with my dad. And so I really just grew up in education. And I knew I wanted to be a teacher after just spending time with my mom in her classroom and just kind of being around that as a kid. Brian, how about you? What got you involved? Why did you want to be a teacher? Yeah, I did not come up from a family of educators, uh, although I realized later on after my career started that my grandfather was a math teacher as well. I never really put that together until my mom reminded me. So there's a connection there, but mostly it was uh, a little late. It was after college that I was more or less encouraged and pushed toward teaching. People said, why don't you just think about being a teacher? And it clicked with me at one moment, all the tutoring and just working with other people and all my career options were kind of centered around wanting people to understand what was going on and and to, to make sense of things. And so teaching became the obvious choice after I finally figured all that out. So Brian, let's continue with that. When did you start working for Ben Lapine Schools? And specifically, when did you start here at Cascades Middle School? Yeah, so the answer is uh, the same for both. This is my seventh year here. So I started in the fall of 2015. And uh, before that, I had been teaching here in Bend as well for seven years prior at a different school. McKenna, how about you? So this is my first year with Ben Lapine Schools and my first year at Cascade. I was able to move to Bend during the pandemic when I was teaching in an online program and just fell in love with Bend and the community. And so I decided to stay. So why middle school? Let McKenna, let's go. Why, middle school gets such a bad rap and kids are oftentimes, some of them may be acting like much younger and some students act much older. Middle school, just people see it as a unique challenge. What drew you to middle school? I absolutely love middle school. I think it's that transition period when you're moving from being a young child to a teenager. And so during those years, you're just learning about the world around you. And because of that, students are very curious. They're very blunt and it's because they're observant. They're paying attention to everything and they're just hilarious. They're so much fun. And I've loved having the opportunity to work in a middle school this year. My background is first grade. So to go from that to middle school has been a big jump, but I love middle school so far. And I think the students are very moldable. And so it's just kind of this great balance. And I love working with middle schoolers. So I'm just wondering, this is your first year at 
teaching middle school, I bet there's some pretty interesting stories you could share about middle school students in your classrooms. Oh, definitely. I think the students are so much fun. I, I start every morning with this morning circle where students have the opportunity to share something that happened over the weekend or uh, what's your favorite superhero? It's always just a general question. And the answers that I get from that are always really fun and really creative. So overall, I just really enjoy having the chance to work in small groups and ask them questions like that and just the fun answers that come from it. On my whiteboard right now, I have a list of all of these phrases that middle schoolers say frequently. And the reason I have that is because at the start of the year, students kept saying things. They kept using words like sus. And I would say, what does that even mean? Is that school appropriate? And they would say, yeah, we know it from TikTok. And so we started this whole list of all these different words. And it just makes the classroom really fun because kids come in and they try to use the words in a sentence. And then I try and use the words in a sentence. And of course, they always tell me I do it wrong. But it just kind of builds that classroom community and that culture. And it just makes middle school a lot of fun. Brian, how about you? What what could you tell us about uh, what how you how you work with kids this age group and why you find it engaging? It's interesting. I would not have uh, would have guessed that I would end up in middle school. Um, my sights were always set on high school, and once I did my student teaching and actually started working with middle school students, I discovered that they were really fun and. Uh, I could be myself, which is a little more of kind of a goofy person sometimes and not worry so much about being judged by older teenagers. And so <laughs> um, having them, having the younger students, it's keeping me young as well, I feel like. Uh, and it's just been very natural. And so there's kind of some selfish reasons behind it. I like that they keep me on my toes and that they're not worried so much about next steps into college. I think there's some excellent teachers in our district that can that can walk through that with uh, high school students. But middle schoolers are just learning how to function in a classroom and I like being a part of that. For example, when I was teaching early on with both middle school and high school students at the same time, there was a time between classes when a few students, this was early on in my teaching, they came in, it was a few months into school, and they just came in to visit and hang out and they were middle school students. And it was the first real time that I'd interacted with these students outside of the classroom setting. It was a little more social, and I realized that they and I were not too different. And so that was just one of the moments that sticks out to me of, of where I discovered how I could relate so well to that middle school group, even though I'm a grown adult. Again, it's just that it, the, the keeping me young and, and keeping me thinking about what it means to be growing up and have that perspective just still fresh in my brain every year. All right, so I think most of our listeners would say they don't have very fond memories of middle school. It does tend to be kind of a challenging time and kids can be all over the place emotionally, socially, mm-hmm. even just mentally. And I think part of what I want to talk about now is how do we, we walk into Cascades and you can feel positive energy and positive culture in this school. What do you think are are the prerequisites? Why is that? What creates that positive energy uh, in this middle school that we want to replicate? We want every kid to experience, not only in our district, but quite frankly, all over. A kid that has a positive experience in middle school is going to be so much more productive in their future education. What do you think is going on that creates that environment? Um, I think that it's intentional at this school. It's been a part of the culture since I came on, and I know it had been going for a while before that. Administration really takes that seriously, and just every teacher who joins the team is really absorbed into that 
the culture of we want students to have a good experience. We want them to be comfortable and safe and to enjoy learning, which is ultimately why they're here and preparing for the next steps. And so we have some specific things that we've orchestrated, like advisory, uh, where the counseling department a lot of times will take the lead and create some activities. And sometimes teachers are just free to make up our own activities. And really just the eye of all of those things that are not specifically the content we're teaching in the classroom is really geared towards creating the community so that every student feels that they belong, every student feels welcome, and that they're safe learning how to be a student and how to succeed and how to fail and what to do next. McKenna, I just think of your example you just shared earlier about the phrases on the board. Like that's not even a part of the the curriculum, but it's still something that is giving you an opportunity to connect with kids that maybe you can work into lessons and and, uh, creating that culture in your classroom. Can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, definitely. I think all of the teachers at Cascade Middle School do such a good job at creating this positive culture where lessons are just fun. I know even today we had students that had the chance to stand up and they were moving around the classroom and they were answering questions. So it's all very interactive. So they're not just sitting in one spot during their entire class. And in addition to that, we have things like school assemblies and spirit weeks where the staff get really involved, the students get involved, and it's really fun for everyone. So I've just, I've loved that about Cascade. I like that you mentioned that because it reminds me that it isn't just outside of our content that we're teaching, it is during the classroom as well, during the class time. Um, every teacher naturally here, I think, in, interjects those things into their teaching. Just some way to get the students up, get them talking, get them collaborating, get them not isolated. Yeah, and I think, tell me if I'm thinking about this incorrectly, but it's not, we're, we're doing this instead of teaching content, yeah. but we're doing this with the content so that it's making it more accessible for more students. Exactly. We could have a online program that every student goes through step-by-step on their own every day, and we could check the box that says we've presented the material, and we could even test them on it, but there's no life to that. And so having a real a real interaction with another person, even working on math problems in my math classroom, it just makes it, it it's something they're going to prepare for and be prepared for going forward, just working with real people in real situations. Yeah, and to go off what Brian was saying, I know for me, I teach some lab classes, which are small groups, and so we have the chance to go outside sometimes. We'll use sidewalk chalk to do math problems, or we'll go out to the track, and so there's ways to kind of take the curriculum, make it fun, basically, so that Mm -hmm. students can enjoy their experience. So McKenna, you just shifted into my next line of, of thought. I want to, you two are collaborating in a pretty unique way, I understand, and I'd love to learn a little more about that. Um, for our listeners, I think we talk about it quite a bit as uh, an inclusion model um, in which our, uh, we don't pull students out of class and separate them out for uh, special needs instruction in math but actually pushing you into the classroom and you two are are teaching that in a collaborative fashion. Can you both tell me about uh, the benefits of that and how that's working so far? Yes. On my end, I had the full quote-unquote general classroom with the students in a lot of different positions on their walk in learning math. And uh, some of them came in 
pretty well on track as sixth graders. Um, some of them came in for various reasons with some large gaps, and that happens every year. And we try to address that with having some specialized classes. But this year, it's been really amazing that we had that opportunity to shift about partway through the year and say, instead of having this group isolated a little bit and working on their own, addressing their needs, but still not part of the group, can we bring them in and then instead of instead of taking them out, the pull-out model, having you come in, McKenna, and work with them within my class as we're going, or within our class, because we've really tried to make it a co-teaching setup to where she'll lead one day and I'll just be back supporting, walking around, and then vice versa the next day. And McKenna, you can talk about what you've seen with those students through that transition and what, what's different now versus the beginning of the year. Yeah, I will say that since we've switched to this co-teaching model, the confidence level in students has just been incredible. I feel like it's skyrocketed in a sense because in the past I've had a small group and although they are learning the math and they're getting some extra support, now that we're kind of in this co-teaching model, I've seen students raising their hands more when they didn't used to participate as much. I see them collaborating with their peers, they're doing partner work, and I just love seeing those interactions. So that part has been amazing in addition to just overall higher test scores with some of our students on IEPs. Mm -hmm. So I've really loved the model so far. We have one student that just pops into my mind every time we have this conversation of the the early part of the year versus after we've changed and brought everyone together. And she was in my class in my, I think, one of the period classes. And then she was also in your class for a small group setting. And when we merged those together, earlier in the year, this girl could slouch all the way down to the floor in her chair. It was amazing. She could melt all the way out of her chair if you didn't catch her. And her go-to response to almost every question was, I don't know. Almost everything you asked her, you could almost test her. What did you have for breakfast this morning? I don't know. <laughs> and just the other day, she came in, and this is not an immediate change. There's been growth. But just the other day, she walked in. And she said, Mr. Kent, I am going to be working today. She said it in front of everybody. She said, I have a pencil. I'm going to be working today. And I laughed, not because I didn't believe her, but because it was just such a, a dramatic difference of how I knew her at the beginning of the year just the growth that sometimes you see it kind of all come together at once maybe and we've seen it in a few of those students but in particular that girl surprised me <laughs> and she's kept it up so and i owe that to to her just having that new experience and gaining the confidence of being able to be in the classroom have the support not feel isolated and separated because middle schoolers just want to feel part of the of the whole crew yeah i think that's one one of the things that are really unique and special about middle school is it's such a difficult time to be spotlit, to be um, separated or thought of differently than the rest of the group that uh, students most times just don't want that attention, whether it's positive or negative. And to hear a success story like that, what do you attribute that to? McKenna, why do you, why do you think she found success in that environment? I think it's kind of what Brian was saying, that students really do want to fit in with their peers, especially at the middle school level. And so this student was no exception to that. She wanted to be with her friends. She wanted to be with her peers. And so now that we have this model, she's still getting tons of extra support. There's two teachers in the room when she's here and I'm checking on her constantly and so is Brian. And because of that, she's doing so well because she's still getting the support, but she feels like she gets to be 
among her peers and with her friends. And she's still having fun while learning the material. So I've heard you now both say the term co-teaching. Our listeners would want to know what do we mean when we say co-teaching? And is does it just mean that in every classroom there's two teachers, which that can seem kind of financially wasteful? Or is it something other than two teachers in a classroom? It's not intentionally defined, I don't think, for us what it was. It was really more of a decision of how can we serve this group of students this year? Can we bring them together into the classroom? And, and instead of them being in a separate room with McKenna, can, they, can we all be together and share the load? And it's, it's not every period. It's not every class that they go to. But with that specific group, with some schedule changing, we were able to really, I think, just maximize the impact of their time. And so I, I have not done it before. This is my first year doing a co-teaching model. And to be honest, it was a little bit of a, how could I say, a, a shock of giving up the power of my classroom in some ways, <laughs> mostly because I didn't want McKenna to come in and feel like she had to take on 50% of the job when she was working with a small group of students. And so what was your perspective coming in, McKenna? <laughs> yeah, I think... I was really excited about it, but also nervous because basically what happened was I took all of my students that were in kind of a pullout lab situation and we clustered them into the general education setting so that students who did need more support were able to be in an environment where they had two teachers and had that extra support. And so I think that that really made a difference for those students. You mentioned confidence. Like so much of this is just about, as a learner, me believing in my ability to be successful and being okay with failing and not quitting when when things get hard. How does this model help support that? Well, one example that comes to mind is I have one student who their IEP goals might be similar to a third grade level math or they're not quite at grade level. And so when you put them in a class like this, their goals are really to participate in the lesson. And so this student, they might be sitting there drawing in the past during math class because they just didn't really feel like they were able to participate with the group. Whereas now in a situation like this, they're better able to raise their hand or whenever the teacher writes something on the whiteboard, they're writing something down as well. And so I think it's situations like that that have been great for students. In math, we have, we talk a lot about entry points on any lesson or any problem. And it's basically just where is a foothold that any particular student can get into this problem and work on whatever they can do. And it's hard sometimes to create those entry points for every student at every level. And so having someone like McKenna in there who knows where this group of students will find their entry point, she can go around and and work with them specifically and, and encourage them while I'm managing the larger group with my more uh, expected entry points at certain levels. And so it just creates a lot more opportunity for every student to to start a problem, to get engaged, and to feel more comfortable with saying instead of, I don't know, or I have no idea what this problem is talking about, just giving them something to grab onto, something to start with. And that's all we can do every day is just let's build from that. Yeah, we really are able to differentiate, which I think is what every teacher wants to be able to do, but this just allows us to do it on a larger scale and just reach all different groups of students. 
So you, you both mentioned this in that last answer. This is can be challenging because of the scaffolding that's required in math. And so much of it is skills that build upon skills that build upon more skills that if you're still missing requisite skills, it's hard to, to comprehend that. So how does this work? Brian, let's start with you. Math gets a bad rap and it is challenging at times to have students that, you know, you might have somebody that's capable of doing sophomore level or 11th grade level math in the class sitting next to somebody that's still learning basic skills. How do we, how do you function with that? And, and, and especially when so many adults in our, wor- in our world say things like, I'm just not good at math. And they see, our, our students see those people being successful in whatever life they're living that they're like, well, maybe math isn't that important. Yeah, absolutely. I battled that battle for uh, ever since I started teaching and I recognized it early on and it's something that's not really hidden especially in math that there's kind of a subconscious assumption that a student's uh, abilities in math are somehow genetic or set and there's a large movement anyone would recognize the term growth mindset that we're really implementing and more so just trying to keep in our own heads Uh, and impart on these students that everybody can learn to some extent. Part of that goes back to an entry point. If you have an entry point, you can build on that. But again, I really, whenever I have a chance to talk to parents in conferences or open house or even just individually, I fight hard against those, those phrases. I was never good at math either. And I'll immediately jump in and say that doesn't mean that the student can't be good at math. And I know that's not what they're trying to say. They're, especially when they say, I hate math. (laughs) People will say they hate math. I don't know if they really hate math. They might just hate doing math without a real reason. And so a lot of that comes back to then how we design our lessons and and our problems. Instead of writing out an equation and saying, solve it, put a story to it. Have the student make up a story, a situation, so that they can not only interpret what's going on, but also just have a better understanding of why they're doing the things they're doing. So what you just said, Brian, makes me think, I heard from a student quote one time that that was, my teacher thought I was smart, so I was. And it's so much about that self-efficacy and what students believe about their own ability. And when, well, when they do start to think about themselves in a different light, um, so many more doors open up for them. I agree, absolutely. We have a tremendous amount of influence over how a student views themselves. And that's not something to take lightly at all because uh, we can we could push that either way. Students can feel discouraged by teachers as well. And I know I've been guilty of discouraging students, whether it's because I thought they had more potential or I knew they had more potential, but they weren't ready to see that yet. And just the frustration that goes along with that maybe. But the other side is some students get really encouraged with that. And sometimes it takes a lot of work to convince them that they have that potential, the ability to grow, the ability to learn. And I like I like that quote. My only question would be, I wonder what we would mean when we say a student is smart because it's such a broad term. And I even have students say, this person's so smart or I'm not smart. And my comeback is always, I don't even know what that means because I'm sure that student knows a lot more about certain topics than I do. And I'm sure they've learned a lot of that that I have not learned yet. It doesn't mean I couldn't learn it. It doesn't mean that they can't learn math. And so that's just another one of those, the cliches that are always floating around in education that we're trying to trying to work on and trying to, to get students to see education as more of a, a journey, an adventure, something that they can do, something they can accomplish. Okay, McKenna, I want to talk a little bit about special education. Um, it's such a demanding role. It's such a 
powerful position in our staff and, and so much is required and so much is needed to find success and how to bring students through sometimes maybe some of the biggest challenges they've ever faced. Tell me about the role of a special educator and how you were drawn to it and why did you choose it? Yeah, so the reason that I went into special education is because I come from a general education background. So I understand what general education teachers are going through and I know that they want to support all students but there just are going to be some students that need extra support and so that's where a learning specialist comes in or a special education teacher where they're able to work with the general education teachers they're also working with the students they're also working with the students families so you really have the chance to collaborate with everybody and kind of create this team that's able to support specific students and work with them and help mold them and guide them in the right direction towards feeling confident and feeling successful in school. And so I love that as a learning specialist, I really do have the power to help with academics, but also help with the social emotional aspect or behavioral aspect. There's just so many elements to special education and I think sometimes people, when they think of special education, they automatically think of specific students or the most challenging students or behavior. But it's not just that. There's so many elements to it. And we're able to help students with their academics, but all of these other aspects as well. So I've really enjoyed that. So I would guess that if a, if a, a visitor came in and, and saw you both in action at the same time, number one, they might not know who the general education teacher is or the special education teacher, and, and more specifically, wouldn't necessarily know which students had IEPs. Is that an accurate guess? I think that's definitely the goal, and um, I don't think it would take anyone long to discover that McKenna has absolutely all of the tools to work with certain students with better support. Two things that you said earlier were the social-emotional learning, which is not something that I've traditionally been very good at keeping in mind because I like doing math and I like teaching math. And so I focus on the math problems and the, and the <laughs> techniques and the all of those things that go into that. And I'm not as good at thinking about the student and what they were just in the last class, what they were going through earlier this morning, whether or not they forgot their glasses or whether or not they had breakfast this morning or if they were just racing to get to school. And so it's always keeping me keeping me aware of the student as a whole person, especially when someone like McKenna is there addressing those needs. And the other thing that I really notice is that McKenna and the teachers like her are really good at, at seeing the difference between equality and equity. And we've heard that so often that equality would be every student gets the exact same experience and a lot of students don't end up getting what they really need, where equity is this student needs more support. And in order to succeed, they just need a little bit extra there. Um, another student might not need as much. And having someone else there to keep me honest about that helps as well. And it's nice for someone to just do that work. Yeah, and what I love about this inclusion model is that Brian and I will both teach math lessons, but we both have our own strengths. And so I know he's really good at introducing new material or covering the really challenging concepts with the math students. And that is really helpful for most of the students in the class. And then when I'm leading math lessons, sometimes I like to target vocabulary or slow down a little bit because I know that's what my students really need is they need 
kind of some extra warm-up practice or extra teaching of vocabulary or explicit instruction. And so we kind of can play off these two different models and it's really helpful for students because some students learn best just with the traditional math curriculum and the lessons and then some students do need kind of some review or some additional practice and so we can kind of pull the two together and create some great lessons. And that's not necessarily even the same students that we would classify as the ones that you're intentionally trying to support. It could be any number of students um, that in even in that moment are really benefiting from a little bit of vocabulary review. So I'm hearing a lot of conversation about balancing kind of the art and science of instruction and teaching and also that you're both functioning as learners in those moments as well. Is that accurate? It's really true to say that because I'm still learning, obviously, how to be a teacher. And a lot of the learning happens when I'm forced to look at another teacher or to, or, or to, or to understand that another teacher is looking at me and not so much that I feel on the spot. But some days we'll, we'll come into the week saying a little bit arbitrary why don't you teach this lesson on Tuesday or lead this lesson on Tuesday? And then during that lesson, we may discover it's not going quite the way it would have gone if the other person was teaching. Not necessarily we're going to stop, kick the other person out and start over, but it's nice having the freedom and the flexibility to just then jump in or have you jump in and say, I have a thought or pretend we're a student for a moment and ask the question that we wish someone else would have asked or uh, something like that. And so that happens a lot, actually, that we're, we're just playing in the moment and just kind of letting one person lead when they feel comfortable to lead and then one person sit back and be comfortable with that too. Definitely. And this is new to both of us. And so it's been a little bit of trial and error. I know math is not my endorsement. I love it. But there's sometimes when I'll lead a lesson and then partway through, I will high five Brian and say, all right, this is something you're strong in. So you can jump in and lead this part and then I'll teach the next section or I'll cover the next topic so we can kind of trade off and just play to each other's strength. So let's turn the tables a little bit. It, as I said earlier in the podcast, this is, we were recording this during Teacher Appreciation Week. If you had a chance to thank one of your teachers, now here's your opportunity publicly to, to give them some props and throw some love out to them for the impact they had on you. I think that my thank you would go to my fifth grade teacher. His name was Mr. Segi, and he lived in the Portland area, but he was a teacher that just took positivity to a whole other level. And he would say things like, McKenna, your writing is so fantastic that it could be published in a magazine, or you're understanding this math so well that you could teach it to the class instead of me. And just his positivity was so high that it created so much positivity in myself and really inspired me to go into teaching or challenge myself. Or at one point I became a published author and it was because he would say things like, oh, you're doing such a great job in writing. So I'm forever thankful for that teacher. For me, this question is hard only because I went through Ben Lapine schools from kindergarten through high school. And several of my teachers are still out there kicking around <laughs> teaching in some schools. And I would hate to for any of them to think they didn't have an impact on me because there's so many. But if I had to choose one, I would go back to high school and um, my physics teacher, Todd Andreessen, did such an amazing job of modeling a love of knowing stuff and knowing why things work. And physics became such a, uh, 
I, I just love physics so much. And my endorsement is in physics now officially. I have a math endorsement as well, but that was the first one I went to. I came back and did my student teaching with Todd and he was a mentor in my graduate school program. He, we signed him on for that. And I don't know if he knows how much because I don't think I've seen him enough to really say that. But among all of the great teachers I've had, he sticks out as someone who just not so much. He didn't have to encourage me a whole lot. He didn't have to say, you're doing so well. This is so great. But he made it cool to know stuff and to learn and to have knowledge. And he made it fun. And that's really impacted my learning. I know a lot of my teaching style is based off of how he taught. And going back and seeing the backstage of all of that as a student teacher, teaching the same lessons, but still refining them after however many years it had been since I was sitting in the classroom. It just really highlighted how you can have a lot of fun and you can stay engaged with that year of students and what they need and how day to day you're not just reading a script. You're really, you're really teaching that student who's sitting in front of you and trying to show them that it's fun to know stuff. Oh, I just love both of those stories. Thank you for sharing those. All right, we've been asking this question of all of our guests. Um, what is giving you hope right now? A little bit of tough times coming out of the two years of pandemic. We've had a lot of ups and downs this year, kind of interesting school year. What would you like to say about creating your own hope? What's giving me hope is seeing students return to normal in so many different ways. The transition from online learning, distance learning to hybrid learning was awkward and there was with all the restrictions that were just being taken and, and, and dealt with one by one it took a long time for students to be social and to be the kind of students that I've worked with for 14 years as I see this year progressing and uh, the classroom just seems a little more like it has been in past years and students are acting more like they have been they're not as timid or quiet or antisocial in the halls they are the goofy sixth graders and the eighth graders that are looking forward to being young adults in high school that I've come to know over my whole career and seeing them returning to that takes away a lot of the anxiety I had about um, just how much all of the last two years have affected students. And so I do have hope that it's going to be okay, that students are going to be, we're going to be back to normal and students are able to get past that and get what they need academically and socially. I agree with Brian. and. What I've noticed this year is that at the start of the school year, these sixth graders came in and they were so quiet. They didn't know each other. And so at lunchtime, they might sit there with an iPad watching YouTube or sitting there quiet on their phones. But now when you go into the hallways, it's great. You hear them socializing with each other. Some of the students that are in my classes, I see them interacting or they talk about spending time together outside of school. They might have track practice together. And so I just love seeing that. And I also love seeing them come into my classroom and they say hi during passing time when they don't have to do that. They don't have to interact with their teachers. So it just brings me joy and it brings me hope seeing students being able to interact with everyone on campus. Mm -hmm. That's very good, very good. All right, folks, that's all for today. I wanna to thank my guests today, McKenna Johnson and Brian Kent for the 
wonderful and amazing hard work that they're doing for students at Cascade Middle School. Uh, this is our new podcast, Ben Lapine Schools. If you're pleased with the work we're doing on these podcasts, please remember to subscribe and share your review on your podcast provider. Also share them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Additionally, if there are topics you'd like us to tackle, please send us a note at podcast at bend.k12.or.us. Also, let us know your thoughts. We're always grateful for the feedback. Thanks for listening to The Soup is On, and please remember to always support public education. Thank you.